I want to start with a statistic for you. The average Christian over the course of their lifetime, based on about 40 years or so, will hear over 2,500 sermons, will attend over 2,000 church services, will sing over 20,000 songs, will participate in about 10,000 hours of public prayer, and will lead zero people to Jesus in the course of their lifetime. Hurts, right? And yet that's why we're here, right? That's why we exist. That's the purpose of the church, to make him known to an unbelieving world. And when I talk about uh, sharing our faith and evangelism, I'm not talking about arguing or debating I'm not necessarily talking about standing on a street corner with a sign. I mean, I love Jesus, and if somebody knocked on my you know, door at my house and said, can I tell you about Jesus, I'd be a little bit like, I don't know, you know? I'm talking about life evangelism. I'm talking about, you know, we've heard that quote by, by St. Francis, misattributed. The quote says, you know, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. What he really said was, if you're walking to go preaching, you're walking, better be preaching. Because it is word and deed. But it's living in such a way that your life is attractive to others. So when Peter says, you know, be prepared when people ask you to to give a defense to the hope that is in you, that's making a lot of assumptions. First of all, it's that you're living with hope in you to the point where it says, when people ask you, not if, but when. Because they're going to ask, If you're living with that that kind of hope. It doesn't mean, you know, getting into debates. I I went to, uh, and I was able to embarrass my wife in the the first service, and we all sang happy birthday. Yesterday was my wife's birthday. Today's my son's. uh, But we went for dinner the other night for her birthday, yesterday. And in the restaurant, there was a sign, and it said, no politics, no religion, no debate. And sometimes you think of evangelism, and that's what people think of, like I'm talking about like arguing or, or, or manipulating or beating people up, and that's not what I'm talking about. You know, in, in, in fact, I'm talking about, again, living in such a way where people want to have that dialogue, where they invite you to that dialogue. See, some people think they do evangelism the same way they, they talk about any other topic, and the goal is just to have people think like you. So the goal is like any ideology or political, you just want to get people to agree with a statement of facts. And that should not be the the impetus. That should not be the motive for our evangelism, for our ministry. It should be that we love people so much that they want them to know the truth of who Jesus is. In his book, Transforming a Church, Mark Connor writes, the church exists for three primary reasons. To minister to God, to minister to each other, and to minister to the world. Now, I want to point out that there's only two of those things. There's only two of those things that cannot be done. There's only two of those things that can be done in heaven. There's only one that cannot be done in heaven. 
If we're only here for the first two reasons, we might as well go to heaven right now. And right now, it's going to be so much easier in heaven to love God because we're in his presence. It's going to be so much easier to love each other because we're all going to be perfect. And some of you spouses are saying, oh, it's going to be easy to love my spouse when I'm in heaven, right? When we're all perfect, it's going to be easy to love each other. When we're in heaven, it's going to be easy to love God. So we can minister to God, we can minister to each other in heaven. The one thing we can't do, the one thing that's not in heaven is evangelism. And so God intends for us, while we're here on on earth, to cultivate relationships, to have friendships with not just people in the church, with not just other Christians, but people who don't yet know about Jesus. So the ministry of the church must change from in-reach to outreach. And I, and I felt pretty good, you know, I was reading through the article and, you know, and, and I thought we have a pretty healthy sense of that, right? There's a lot of churches that become insular and everything they do is for, for the, you know, the body here and, and everything's focused around the inside. But I think we're pretty good. I think we do a lot of outreach stuff. But that's why we exist. We talked and we have, we're having them printed up right now. They're at the printers, but the signs is, as you leave the exit doors that are going to say, now go be the church. Because this, we know, is in the church. It's not the building. It's the people of God. So this morning, I want to talk about exactly what that mission is. What does it look like for us to be the church? The title of the message is Empowered for What? Empowered for What? And so that's what we're going to talk about. Take a moment and greet uh, somebody near you, and then we're going to pray for the sermon. Father, we're here to hear from you, to be changed by the power of your word, your spirit, your presence. And so, Lord, have your way. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Open our hearts. Speak to our spirits. Lord, may your word challenge us and convict us. May it change us so that we leave here different, more like your son, and more living on mission, as you've called us to. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So this morning, it's Pentecost Sunday. We commemorate the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and other disciples following the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. It marks the beginning of the Christian church's mission to the world. You could sort of say in one sense it's sort of it's day one of the church. And we see immediately the power of God. We read about Jesus preparing his disciples in John 16. It says this, however, I'm telling you the truth. It is good for you that I'm going away. If I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He will come to convict the world of sin, to show the world what has God's approval, and to convince the world that God judges it. He will convict the world of sin because people don't believe in me. He will show the world what has God's approval because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me anymore. He will convince the world that God judges it because the ruler of this world has 
been judged. I want to point out something very important there, and then we're going to revisit it several times. That the Holy Spirit has already come and begun to convince and convict the world. And that should give us some confidence because that, what that means is when we think of evangelism, we think of what we're able to do or more importantly, what we're not able to do. Well, you know, I'm not really good at that. I don't know the Bible. I'm not. I'm, we make all these excuses why we're not the one to minister to the people that God has called and placed around us. But what we should realize is that the groundwork, the foundation for that evangelism, Jesus is saying, look, the the Holy Spirit's already come. He's already begun to convict and convince in everybody's lives. Think of in your life and my life. Most of the time, and God can do anything and does, but most of the time people don't just stand up one day, wake up and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. It can happen. Maybe it's happened. But most of the time, it's a series of events. It's a series of people. It's a series of seeds planted that God's been, you know, God's causing the growth. God's opening our hearts. And so if we're talking about evangelism, I think the first point we need to make is that the Spirit is working, preparing. And then, of course, Jesus tells us what we are to do as a result of this empowerment. Because we get empowered, you know, the Spirit comes and and maybe, you know, He helps us in our our life of sin, you know, helps help us to find freedom, helps us to, you know, develop our gifts and abilities, which again, if you're a Christian, your gifts, your abilities, and we all have them, are not for you, right? They're to bring God glory and to serve His people. That's what our gifts are for. And we all have them. Again, everybody here, you have a gift. You have an ability. But that's not for you. It's not to say, look at me. It's to say, look at him. Amen. And it's to serve the church. So we have this empowerment. And the empowerment will, will challenge us. It'll convict us. It'll encourage us. All that is true. But there's one main reason for it. And I think sometimes we forget that. And Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8 what we are to do. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we're empowered. But empowered for what? That's the title of the message. And this is what Jesus says. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses in your immediate area. And then in a further area. And then, now, however you take that, the point is to more and more people. And to be a witness is, is not just to talk, it's to, it's to represent, it's to live out. So that means we testify to who Jesus is, not based on a set of facts, but based on our love for him, a relationship. To be a witness, we're, we're to be an ambassador. We're to go in his place. So that means for some reason, God, when he thought of his plan to reach people, decided to use us. To be his hands and feet. Church, there's no plan B. If we don't do it, who else is going to? I'll tell you, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, but if we don't behave like Jesus, if we don't live like he does, what's going to happen is that the people who badly represent Christ, who look more like a Pharisee, when you say to somebody, you know, what do you think about Jesus and Christians? They describe to you a Pharisee because that's been their experience. Because the Christians that are true like Jesus are are in the background. And everybody that has the floor, everybody that's yelling and screaming, looks like a Pharisee and not like Christ. And so people's idea of church is those people. And we're going to look at that a little more here. 
Then, of course, in in Acts chapter 2, you see the result of that outpouring. You see in Peter's life. Now, just in case you think you're past, like you did anything in your past, you say, well, you know, Pastor Brian, I'd love to, you know, be a witness for Jesus, but you don't know about my past. Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. For three years, he, he walked with Jesus, and, and, he, and, he, and he slept where Jesus slept, and he was part of Jesus' inner circle, and he saw Jesus do miracles. Peter gets crazy, cuts the dude's ear off, and Jesus fixes it, right? Peter's seen the miracles, and what happens? What happens when they, you know, when, the, when, the, when they come and they say, hey, you were, you were friends with him, weren't you? And Peter goes, Jesus, I, Jesus who? I don't know who that guy is. Not once. No, yeah, yeah, you were with him. No, you're one of, you're one of his closest friends, aren't you? No, 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 you must have me confused with somebody else. Then you know what gave him away his Boston accent. It wasn't Boston, but. <laughs> to park the car, that's you, Peter, from Boston. What did he do? I don't know that guy. That Peter, that's the Peter. Just because we read the Bible and we think everybody in the Bible is perfect and they get all together. That Peter, something changed in him when the Spirit came. And that, that Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 plus people get saved. That's revival. And that's not a result of Peter. That's a result of God in Peter. Lest you think that, again, your past is going to disqualify you. Because it is not about our ability or inability. It is not about our knowledge. I mean, we need to know the word of God, but we don't need to be Bible experts. It's about the spirit of God already at work. It's about the word of God already at work. And it's about our obedience and love for people working together to do God's work. It is all him. I know you hear the word evangelism, and for Christians, the thought of having to share our faith, it, it causes us, you know, we get nervous. We don't, we don't want to rock the boat. And, and I'll tell you this, and I know it's, and it's a little tough to hear, and we'll, get, we're gonna, we'll talk more about this idea of relational capital. Jamie always loves to say, um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Once you get this relational capital, once people know that you love them, you, you earn the ability to speak into their life. So I have conversations with certain people that are tough conversations, conversations I would much rather not have. It would be easier for me to not to, but I love them. And, and, and you got to do it in the right way with gentleness and respect out of that love. But to not have conversations with people that might be a little uncomfortable for you, but are to their benefit is not love. It is the opposite of love. That is self-centeredness. Because you're more concerned with, with how they might react or how you might feel. And so sometimes our hindrance to, to speaking up, to, to evangelizing, to sharing our faith is misguided. It's, it's, that, it's that hesitancy, that, that lack of, of really saying, you know what, I love them more than, my dis, more than being comfortable. I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable. I'm willing to be rejected For the sake of Christ. I'm willing to be a fool for the gospel. See, the church exists for mission. And if we're going to be the church, then sharing our faith isn't a choice. If we're going to be the church, then we have to be reaching out with God's love and sharing the message of Jesus with those we meet. The truth is, when you give your life to Jesus, he's commissioned you to be a missionary. I know you think of a missionary, you think of somebody who goes halfway across the world. 
And that's, that's one way to do it. But you know, now the way that the world is going, the way that things in the West and Europe are going, eventually what's going to happen probably in our lifetime is people are going to come from other countries and evangelize the West. We used to be the source where we send out missionaries. Pretty soon they're going to be other countries, Asia, uh, India, these places where big churches are coming up, where people are getting saved, where the church is growing. They're going to come and do missions to us. So you don't have to go across the world to do missions. You and I, we're missionaries. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. That means God has put people in your world, in your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in your Samaria, in your circles that he wants you to minister to. That you are specifically set up. That your relationships are such that they'll hear from you. And so this morning, I want to help each of us to do that work, to be the missionary God's called us to be. To share our faith with those who are not yet Christians. And I want to encourage us as Paul encouraged Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 5, As for you, be sober-minded. Be thoughtful. Endure suffering. I know you're going to go through some things, but do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. And so this morning, we're going to ask three questions. And the first one is, what is evangelism? What is evangelism? What does it mean? I like Spurgeon's definition. I think it's powerful and right to the point. Said evangelism is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. No pretense. You're still a beggar. You just happen to find the source. You just happen to find bread. I like that definition. But probably the the best well-known definition comes from Archbishop William Temple. He had a committee on evangelism. He came up with this definition. To evangelize is to present Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit that people should come and put their trust in God through him, accept him as their savior, serve him as their king in the fellowship of the church. I'm gonna say that again. Evangelism is to present Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit, not with your intellect and with your persuasion and with your talent and with your ability, but to present Jesus in the power of the Spirit so that people would come to put their trust in God through Christ to accept him as their Savior, to serve him as their King in the fellowship of his church. It's about presenting men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about those who know about the truth of the gospel, about the love the mercy, the grace, the patience, the patience, the patience, and the faithfulness of God in our lives. Share your story. We all have one. Share your story. Speak life. You know that most people, probably nine out of ten people, will let you pray for them if you ask, if you, ask, if you say, hey, can I pray for you? People that don't have any religious affiliation, you know, that, that'll say they don't believe in God. If you come to them and they know that you come from a place of caring and you say, can I pray for you? Nine out of 10 of them will say yes. Sometimes they'll say, yes, please do. I've had people, and I used to, I used to be real careful about that years ago. I'd be like, I don't know if people want. And then I thought, you know, what's, what's it going to hurt? And I realized, boy, the, the people that I thought were going to say, no, nah, I'm not really, that Sure. And then so many of them have said, please do. Or I would like that. Why? Because deep down inside, they know 
that they're missing something. One of my favorite quotes, and we saw Augustine, Augustine's, uh, Augustine's prayer on the, uh, on the slide this morning. One of my favorite quotes from him is, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. See, what we've got to be aware of is that the Holy Spirit's already at work convincing and convicting, and that people without Christ are restless. They're searching. Why should we evangelize? Because this is what the Bible says is the state of the world. Matthew 9, 36, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Luke 19, 10, they're lost. John 3, 18 says they're condemned. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul writes, they're blinded in their minds. For the God of this age, the devil has blinded their minds so the glorious light of the gospel of Christ can't shine into their darkness. Ephesians 2 says they're dead in their sin. Ephesians 2.12 says they're without hope. We need to evangelize because of the awful state of mankind. Because the only hope that exists is the hope found in Jesus Christ. And, and I hesitate to use us and them language because the problem is if we're not too careful, we start to make all these distinctions as though we've arrived. We forget that we're beggars too. And, and we got to remember, well, Colossians 1, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. And then Paul also says that not only have we been reconciled, which to be reconciled is to be, to be made right with. It was a problem, and the problem's solved now. You're reconciled. Paul says we've been reconciled, and you know what? We've also been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means that we're not just reconciled and that's it. We're not just, you know, minister to God and minister to each other. No, we're, we're sent out to minister to a world who both hates him and needs him. Ephesians 2.12, remember at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant and the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. So we must remember how far we were from God at one time and be grateful for what he's done and what he continues to do in us and wants to do through us. So then the question we, you know, we've talked about, okay, what evangelism is? And we've talked about, you know, why we should evangelize. Now, how should we evangelize? Because, and again, God can use anything. And, and you know, I know people stood on street corners. There's all kind of ways. I'm not here to, you know, bash anybody. If you, you know, I'm not, that's not my point here. But most effective evangelism takes place within the context of relationship. In other words, most of us came to faith because of a series of, of relationships, of a series of conversations, of, of seeds that were planted, of, of conversations we found ourselves in, and eventually we came to faith. God can and will use anything, but I think to answer the question about how best to evangelize, I think we look at Philip in Acts chapter 8. Because when Philip introduces the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus, he does it God's way. Now, the first thing I want to point out is Philip wasn't an apostle like Peter, James, and John. Peter was not a missionary like Paul. He wasn't a pastor like Timothy. So Philip could have been like, ah, oh, you know what, the, that, that, you know, that evangelism stuff, I'm going to leave that to you guys. You guys are so much better at that than me. You're professionals. 
Philip was a deacon. Deacon, it was a servant of the church. We have a great deacon team here, and I love the deacons. You know what they do? Whatever they need to. That's what they do. They focus on the community groups, the deacons, just, just to serve. Just to serve because they love God. That's the kind of guy Philip was. He was ordinary. I've had people tell me before, come up to you, this, you know the thing I like about you, Pastor Brian, is you are ordinary. Like, well, thank you. Yeah, there's nothing special about you at all. I, I think I get what you're trying to say. Okay, thank you. Philip was like that. He was just a man filled with the Spirit of God who loved Jesus, wanted to tell everybody. And we find Philip, in fact, preaching to the crowds in Samaria right before our text here, leading many people to faith. See, when Jesus has changed our lives, when he's really made a difference, we can't help but want to share that with people. And most of the time what gets in the way is, you know, we focus too much on what we can't do and not enough on what he can do. Well, I'm not, but I'm not, and he's not. And I... You know, if you feel inadequate for what God, God's called you to do, rest assured, you're absolutely right, 100%. There's a quote I read one time that says, God's grace will never take you to where his will will not, God's will will never take you to where his grace will not sustain you. God's will will never take you to where his grace will not sustain you. He's going to empower you. He's going to give you the ability to live out the call he's placed in your life. So it's not about what we can't do. It's about what he can do. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in our text is that this Ethiopian was already on a journey. In fact, he had been to Jerusalem. Now he's on his way back from Jerusalem. Verse 27, 28 says, There was an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. means he was a prominent member of society. He had power, influence, wealth, but he also had an emptiness inside. The emptiness was such that he was willing to travel some 1,500 miles on a spiritual journey more than a physical journey because he heard He heard about the one in Jerusalem. Everyone is going to Jerusalem to worship, to worship the one true God who can satisfy every need, who could fill every longing, that he would be found there. So he goes to worship, searching for truth and hope and fulfillment. You know what he sees? Sadly, what he sees with so many people that I talk to and, and they, they've had a bad experience with the church. And this, and this eunuch, he had a bad experience with the church. And you know what he sees? Materialism and intolerance and hypocrisy. He sees the Pharisees. He sees empty religion. And he's on his way home disillusioned. No closer to salvation than when he started off on his journey. I've talked to so many people who've been wounded by church experiences where their idea of of a Christian is a Pharisee because that's what they've encountered. Dead religion, legalism, hypocrisy. And so this man is on his way back. Can you imagine the discouragement? I know some of you that, again, you, you know, I've heard testimony after testimony of, of you know, this, was not, this is not what I thought church was like. This is, this is great. My experience was X, Y, and Z. It's a community. We are imperfect. We are messy. 
but we're beautiful in Christ, amen? And that's what we're invited to be a part of. I constantly run into people inside and outside of the church who've been wounded by workspace religion or self-centered, empty, vague spirituality with no power because there's no Christ. My main point is this. He was already on a spiritual journey. This eunuch was, was on a spiritual journey. There was something inside him. So now we got to remember that the, the Spirit of God has already begun to convince and convict and that people are restless without Christ and that everybody's on a journey. So whenever you're hesitant to evangelize, to share your faith, consider those, those, ground, those ground facts, right? Consider that foundation that God's already begun working. Every one of us here today is on a spiritual journey. It's a process. And like the Apostle Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. We just called to do our part, to do our part, to, to plant those seeds, to, to cultivate those relationships, to be genuine, to be honest, to love on people. The next point I want to make is, it says in verse 26, Philip was sensitive to God's leading. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now we don't know if that was like a harp and, and wings. You know, we don't know what kind of angel it was. You know, sometimes the Bible, uh, angel's a person. Sometimes it's maybe a, a voice or an impression Philip got. We don't know the manifestation of the angel. What we know is that Philip was sensitive to the voice of God. What we know is that Philip had a prayer life, and so when God spoke to him, that Philip responded, that he heard God's voice, that there was a prompting from heaven, and Philip's walk with God was such that he could recognize it. We need to be sensitive to God's prompting, church. So in the first service, my wife was here, and I was able to share this story, and it's she always tells me when I tell people the good thing I do for her, I've lost, I lose the blessing, but I already lost it in the first service, so it's okay. <laughs> so yesterday was her birthday, and she asked me if I would go to the grocery store. Now, let me just tell you, there is nothing on the planet I hate more than going to the grocery store. I, 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 it takes me hours. I walk around in circles. I pass the same thing 50 times. I have no idea where anything is. I don't like crowds. The whole thing's a disaster. It's a nightmare. I can't stand it. And it was her birthday, and she said, would you go to the grocery store for me? And I felt like checkmate right away. I didn't want to go, but I went to the grocery store. And I walked in the door, and it this, like literally the second I walked through the door, I see a friend of mine I haven't seen in 10 plus years. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? And you expect him to go good, and you keep walking. And he, go, and he looked me in the eye, and he paused, and I could tell he was thinking whether he should say. And he looked at me, and he said, not good. And I put my basket down. I said, what's up, man? Talk to me. And he, you know, you can see the tears welling up in his eyes. He's just, I'm not doing good. And we exchanged phone numbers. We talked for about 15 minutes. Opened himself up, you know. And he said, man, this is probably why I came here today. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know this is why I came here today. <laughs> so my wife's going to be like, go to the grocery store with me because there's probably some ministry you've got to do. <laughs> I don't know if the, if the story there is listen to your wife or listen to the spirit, but be obedient to the promptings wherever they come from. See, if you aren't receiving a prompting, I can tell you it's not because God's not prompting you. It's because you know what happens? 
things get so loud. There's so much noise that we miss the still small voice. We're so focused, and Jamie can tell you, I am a, I am a taskless, agenda-driven. I got spreadsheets leaked to spreadsheets. I want to get stuff done. I get it. And, and you know, the apostles, you read through the Gospels, and, and Jesus is trying to do ministry. The apostles are trying to do ministry. And then more often than not, what happens is somebody comes in and interrupts Jesus. And then the apostles go, hey, stop interrupting. We have stuff to do. And Jesus goes, knuckleheads, that's the stuff we have to do. It's about the people. But we get so caught up in our own stuff that we miss opportunities. Look around you. Look in your own household. Look in your job. Look in this church. And you tell me there's not a voice telling you somebody you can minister to. Who does God put in front of you? Friend, family member, work colleague. We need to pray the Lord opens our eyes and makes us sensitive to those promptings. And then the thing is, we need to be obedient, right? Verse 26, the angel said to Philip, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out. Now, here's the thing. Philip was doing fruitful ministry. Philip could have said, yeah, but you, you don't understand. I mean, I got a good thing going here. Like, I'm already telling people about Jesus. They're already responding. Like, I don't need to send somebody else. I'm doing good stuff. Because it's always excuses to stay where you are. And Philip could have said, you know, uh, things, are, things are good. You know, why would I leave the marketplace? Why would I leave the place where all these people are and go to some desolate crossroads? Where? But he went. Because the prompting was from God and he was obedient. God spoke to him. A lot of times when God speaks to us, we don't want to. I get it. I've told this story once before, but I was working at a job, I don't know, 15 years ago. And there's a kid, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm like, you know, all in the, you know, newer in my faith, whatever, probably 20 years ago, I guess. And, and, uh, and so this guy is like the second day I work with him and he's just sharing about how he's going to move and it's going to be a struggle and blah, blah. And the, you know, spirit says, tell me of a truck. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Don't say that. Give him a hundred bucks. Don't say anything about the truck. And as I'm trying to debate with the Holy Spirit, I go, I have a truck. And right away it came out and I thought, oh my, why did you say that? And then right away I'm thinking, well, he doesn't, he's not even going to know me. He's not going to, he's probably just going to say, no, that's okay. But he goes, do you? Would you help? And I'm like, I would love to help you move, lift heavy things. That sounds super fun. Sure. And then I show up. His whole family's there. They're like, this is nice of you. You know, you guys, old friends? I'm like, no, brand new friends. Like, brand, brand new friends. They're like, you must be a nice guy. I'm trying. I'm trying to be a nice guy. Don't ask me to move. I'll tell you no. I'm just telling you right now. That was 20-something years ago. I didn't want to obey. I ended up having a good relationship with that guy. My wife and I went to the house with him and his wife. And... But here's the thing. The angel said to Philip, go, and Philip went. Jesus said to the disciples, go, and I'm sending you. He tells us, go, preach the gospel, share your faith. That word go makes a difference whether a church is alive or dead. That one word, go. Do we go or do we stay? Because it's comfortable to stay. We know what's happening when we stay. It's scary to go. But make no mistake. That's what we're commanded to do. The early Methodists were nicknamed the go preachers. 
Because they didn't just sit in their churches waiting for people to show up. Now, I mean, imagine what it would look like if everybody invited one person to church next week. But here's what we need to think about. You're not just inviting somebody to come to an event or to a, to a one gathering. You're inviting them to be part of a community of people who will love them and walk with them and nourish them and help them, right? That's what it means. You don't invite somebody to church like, hey, look, somebody came. If you had a church and 10,000 people show up, but nobody's following Jesus, then you don't have a church. You just have a big gathering. I love, I go to pastor's conferences and everybody's like, so how big is your church? It's always the question. I imagine if Jesus was at one of those conferences. My church, 12 guys. They're all knuckleheads, complete idiots, every single one of them. But you know what? They're going to change the world. Why? Because they're committed, because they're dedicated, because they're empowered by the Spirit. How big is your church? How big is the heart of the people in your church? How obedient are they? On uh, John Wesley in a, in a biography at the end of his life, it was written, John Wesley was out of breath pursuing the souls of the lost. That with his last breath, he was witnessing and telling everybody about the sweet love he had for Jesus. So not only do we need to be sensitive to God's prompting, but we have to be obedient to his leading and prepared to go to the people and the places he sends us. The other thing I want you to know is that Philip's witness was based firmly in Scripture. It was based firmly in the truth of Scripture. We don't need to water the word down. We don't need to make it more palatable. We don't need to, you know, be the PR man for Jesus. It's not about, you can lose a debate. I mean, you can win a debate and be wrong. You can lose a debate and be right. It's not about what you think cliche, empty sentiment, your opinion, it doesn't matter. I've, I've said before when I preach, it doesn't matter what I think. Who cares what I think? It's what the word of God says. And Philip realizes that. Yes, and so he stays in the text. Yes, so we don't need to be Bible experts, but we got to know the word of God. It says the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah in verse 35. Philip, beginning with that very passage, and I'm going to start reading, I'm going to read in verse 32. And it says, now the passage of scripture with which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to them. And we know they came upon water and Philip baptized them. But Jesus took him from what he knew about God, from what he knew about the scriptures and brought him to what he needed to know. I've heard it said in preaching, always bring him to the cross. Every sermon should lead to Jesus Christ. And Philip knew that. Take the word of God and point people to Jesus. In a few short years, the apostles were able to minister to hundreds of thousands of people because they were Jesus preachers and they were Bible preachers. Not because of their ability and talent, but because of their empowerment and who they knew in Christ. Look through the book of Acts and you'll see again and again scripture pouring out of their mouth. See, we're living in a day and age where it's easy to water down the gospel, where people's ears want to be tickled. But I've learned in in the class I'm taking, I think my last class, I read a book and it said, what we win them with is what we win them to. In other words, meth and batters. 
Method matters. It's not about manipulation. It's not about fear. It's not about inviting people into empty religion. It's about looking at people and having a love for them, meeting them where they are and bringing them to a place of understanding of who Jesus is, that he died for them, that he loves them, and that he wants a relationship. It's about the power of God already at work, and it's about our obedience to do our part. See, Hebrews 4 tells us the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Can you do that? Can I do that? So what happens when we water down scripture? We blunt the sword. What good is a sword with no edge? Evangelism is the crying of God over the world. God loves people no matter who they are, where they are, what they've done their background, and he calls us, his church. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and the pastors as we transition to communion. God calls us to love people the way he loves them. Everybody you see is made in the image of God. Everybody you see is on a spiritual journey. Everybody you see is restless without Christ. Everybody you see has already begun to, to have that conviction and that convincing by the spirit of God. So look for those who are on that journey. Look for ways you can relate to them. Be sensitive to God's prompting. Be obedient to God's leading. And keep your witnessing based on Bible truth, not what you think. Not your opinion. But God's word. Allow the power of God's word to do what it's meant to do. The fields are ripe unto harvest, but the workers are few. Let's shine our light, CFC, in the city of New Bethany. Let's be the light for Jesus. Let's continue to expand this community. As we, as we transition to communion, the Greek word koinonia, it means an intimate fellowship. It means a special community with God and his people. That's what we're inviting people into, not superficial, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good, but real, authentic, messy, how you doing? I'm a mess. Help me. Walk with me. Love me. Introduce me to the love of Christ. Amen.